Romans 8, and, and again, I just, and this is not new with tonight, but thank God for anointed praying. Thank God for anointed singing. Thank God for anointed music. Everything here tonight, and I, I, I will throw this in uh, for free. We have no excuse if we are not reading our Bibles. Brother Sims, literally, you've heard that old statement before. You're blind in one eye and can't see out of the other. Okay, that literally sums up Richard Sims. He is blind in one eye, and he can't hardly see out of the other. And I've been going by and seeing Brother Paul, although I didn't know what the little ball was for on the table. And he's got a little gel ball that sits on that table. And Justin is the one that told me that he's turning the pages with his nose. You have no excuse. I, I, I love you, but you have no excuse if you're not reading your Bible. That, that testimony is going to condemn me if I'm not reading my Bible. Amen. And so one thing before I read my text here tonight. Sister Mary passed her state boards. She, she didn't want me to say that this morning and she didn't want me to say it tonight but you know what we ought to we ought to celebrate that stuff when it comes around and uh, I thank the Lord for that amen amen Romans chapter 8 and, and I'd like to begin in verse 9 the Bible says there but ye are not in the flesh but in the spirit if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. You ought to walk through the cemetery and keep that scripture in your mind that the Lord is going to raise up the dead. And um, I want to preach to you here tonight about the confirmation of the Spirit. Let's ask the Lord to touch our hearts here tonight. Our Lord Jesus Christ, I am thankful, Lord, for your goodness. I'm thankful, Lord, for your presence, God, that's been here in this place tonight. I pray, God, that your Spirit, Lord, meets every need. I pray, God, that you touch our families, touch our marriages, touch our Sunday school classes, our youth department, our music department, our missions department, Lord, our housekeeping department. I pray, Lord, tonight that your hand, Lord, is gathered about every one of us. If ever we needed you, it is now. 
And I pray, Lord, tonight, God, that you would help, Lord. Lord, please help this congregation tonight. I want this to flow. I ask you, Lord, for the next little while that you would help us, God, connect with your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And um, I shouldn't even go here, but for those of you that are mindful of time, man, you got a timer on your phone and you want to wonder when I'm going to be getting about done. Um, If you'll set your timer for about 50 minutes, I think I may get be getting about halfway through in about 50 minutes. We'll be working on getting done in about 50 minutes. The confirmation of the Spirit. Romans chapter 8 is one of the chapters in the Word of the Lord that focuses in on the Spirit. In fact, whenever you look at this Uh, chapter, Paul mentions Spirit, Holy Spirit, Spirit of Christ, Spirit of God in this one chapter more than he did in any other chapter in the book of Romans. I think it comes in at perhaps 26 times that he mentions the word Spirit, and 19 of those are found here in Romans chapter 8. A few weeks ago, I preached to you about the removal of condemnation. That's in the first four verses. And then a month ago, I preached to you about the trap of carnality, which is in Romans chapter 5 through verse 8. And I believe that there never has been a more important time in your walk with the Lord that you knew absolutely and that you know absolutely with a certainty that you are ready to meet the Lord. And so whenever you start looking at that, to ask yourself the question, have I been filled with the Spirit and am I truly converted? Is the Spirit of God working in my life? And then look there to verse uh, 16. It said, the Spirit itself beareth witness in our spirit, that we are the children of God. And so some of the old saints used to say that is there a witness of the Spirit that you have in your life? If you think that this is a subject perhaps that we should not uh, consider or veer off, then think about the fact that there were 40 parables that the Lord wrote or gave throughout the Gospels. And... And uh, of one of those parables, in Matthew 25, we find the parable of the five wise and the five foolish. All of these women could have fit into what we would consider the category of the saints of God. Whenever we look at what Jesus had to say, all of them had been invited to a wedding banquet. They, they had an invitation that says, hey, you come to this, this wedding. All of them belonged to what we would consider as the visible church. And all of them had professed that they literally were brides that were waiting for the coming virgins that were waiting for the coming of the bridegroom. Every one of them believed that the bridegroom was coming to get them. And and we also know that 
as the story unfolds, Jesus said in Matthew 25, they all slumbered and slept. Every one of them, they went to sleep. And yet, five of them were not accepted when the Lord came back. And there's a reason for that. The Bible tells us that their vessels did not have any oil in it. And so they asked the Lord. They said, Lord, will you open the door up for us? And in Matthew 25 and verse 11, the Bible says it like this. Afterward came also the other virgins saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Those are some of the most troubling words that you find in the words of Scripture. And I believe that the Bible is God-breathed. It is indeed the Word of the Lord. And so whenever we look at that, there is a part that we have to understand that we cannot be fooled that these words spoken in the time that Jesus was there, they will be replicated again in perhaps not the too distant or perhaps even in the near future that there will be people that the Lord will say, I do not know you. Whenever we look to that first, those verses there in Romans chapter 5, or eight and verses five through eight, there are some things that are said there. Verse six, it says, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. And so then they that are in the flesh, they cannot please God. And so there is that part or that matter that sometimes that we believe that maybe a carnal Christian is going to be somebody that just barely squeezes their way in. But scripture does not indicate that. It does not tell us that those that do not have oil in their vessel, the Lord's going to say, oh, come come on, I, I'm, I'm going to let you in. We don't find that. We don't find where that people that can be in a state of of lukewarmness or in a state where that they are somewhat backslidden. Oh, the Lord's just going to let them in as well. Scripture does not bear that out to us. It tells us here tonight that a man or a woman that is controlled by their flesh, that they literally, they will not be saved. And, And there are times, I want to just tell you here tonight that there are times when a saint of God, a child of God, a real saint that there will be sin that takes place in uh, their lives. And and I would say that uh, as James says, that they are tempted, they're drawn away on their own lust and they sin and they fall into those particular matters. And yet it's what happens in response that tells us everything that we need to know about who their identity is. Because if you are a child of God, truly saved, your conscience is going to be conflicted and your mind is going to be convicted and there's going to be a desire in you to say, I've got to get somewhere where that I can confess this sin. I need to talk to the Lord about these things that I have fallen into and that tells me everything I know need to know about the state of the soul of that person. 
An unbeliever, they're not concerned about it. There is no part where that they even begin to think about the fact that they have ventured into an area that has not been pleasing to the Lord there. And, and again, if this kind of preaching or teaching tonight concerns you, uh, especially about the matter of your own salvation, I want to just tell you it's good that you feel that way. It's important that we feel that way. It's, it's, a, it's important that there's times where that there is a moment of evaluation that comes in to our heart and to our spirit. And again, I just tell you tonight, that's one of the reasons that I like preaching consecutively through the Word of God because it helps me to get to a place where that people can't say, well, he's pot-shotting me, he's picking at me, he's whatever. It just happens that we got to this part here tonight in this passage of scripture and so I would remind you of some other scriptures that we need to give this matter a very serious consideration as to our standing before God. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 10 wherefore the rather brethren give diligence to do what? To make your calling and your election sure. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 9 19, nevertheless, the foundation of God, it stands true. And having this seal, the Lord knows them that are his. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 11, and we desire that every one of you, that they do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. And then in 1 John chapter 3, Verses 19 through 21, John writes it like this. He said, and hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God, he is greater than our heart and he knows all things. Beloved, if your heart does not condemn you, then we have confidence toward God. I would connect that up with what Paul wrote to Timothy in this matter and said that the goal of life is to have a pure conscience. You realize tonight how important that a pure conscience is to your relationship with God, that if the conscience is pure, then whenever you kneel to pray, there is not a part where you begin to say, I gotta empty things out to pray through before I can even talk to the Lord about our needs. And that's where the enemy wants you to live at. He wants you to have a life that's so cluttered up and so challenged and so full of the world and full of the flesh and full of the enemy's ideas that when you begin to pray or magnify or glorify the Lord, there's something that hinders your relationship with God. But I want to look to these verses that we read here tonight beginning uh, with verse 9. There's some words that I have kind of hitched up to these three verses. Verse 9 is residence. Verse 10 is righteousness. And verse 11 is resurrection. But let's look here in verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Romans chapter 8 speaks to us. It says, look, 
Here's a part where that the spirit, that it has resonance inside of you. That's one of the most incredible things that you can say about yourself here tonight. It's not your personal accomplishments, not how much you have in a bank or how much property you have or how many things of an earthly holding that you have. The ultimate question and the greatest treasure that you have in your life is what Paul writes. He says, listen, you're not in the flesh, but you're in the spirit. If the spirit of God dwells on the inside of you, that word there should stand out to us here tonight. Look at it, what it says. It said that if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. That, that means that the Holy Ghost comes to live. It comes to dwell. It comes to reside. It comes to stay. It comes to inhabit. It comes to a place where that it settles down on the inside of you. In fact, I would just say here tonight that if we do not have the Spirit dwelling in us, then we have not been saved. In fact, Paul details that in the last half of that verse. Look there in verse 9. He said, Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, then he is none of his. And so it is that Paul is pretty direct and straightforward whenever he begins to deal with this issue. He says, If, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to him. If you belong to Jesus Christ, then that spirit is going to be living inside of you. And then he says it like this in part of the way that we could look at it, that if you have the spirit of Christ, then you're not gonna be controlled by your sinful nature. There ought to be a part of us that we pray these scriptures, that when we kneel down and we open up the word of God in front of us and in our place of prayer, that we plead with the Lord, Lord, please fill me with your spirit. Fill me up with your kingdom. Fill me with your principles and your strength and your power. I would say here today that there was thoughts that, that when I was putting this together that I remembered something Brother Keating said to us back uh, somewhere in 89 to 92 whenever I was in Bible college and here's what he said he said that if my my vertical relationship with God you understand vertical that's, that's up and down he said my vertical relationship with God is going to affect the horizontal relationship that I have with others around me if ever there needed to be a time my brothers and my sisters that our vertical relationship needed to be absolutely certain. It's now because husbands, your wives need a spiritual husband. Wives, you need to have the spirit because your husband needs a spiritual wife. Children, you need to be filled with the spirit as well because you need godly and reverent parents that are around you. And I'd also say this here tonight. I'm, I'm on this this is, this is a joke for our guest. Nobody in here appreciates my talents and gifts and abilities to sing. And so, so if you wonder why I'm down here on the front, it's because I mess up the whole front row of the praise team and 
And so I won't get my feelings hurt and stay, say I ain't coming back to church for a month. I don't want to deal with them. So I stay down here and I just bless everybody in this old section over here while I'm singing. But I'm going to tell you something tonight. That, that vertical relationship that we've all had when you walked in here and you got to singing, we need a spiritual church. You know why? Because somebody's singing and praying over here, sloshed over to this section and this section got over to this and from the front to the back and side to side, we need a church that is filled with Holy Ghost power. You know why? Because Tomorrow, I don't know what I'm going to face. I don't know what I'm going to face next week. But I know this. I was in a red hot Sunday morning and red hot Sunday night service. And there's power and strength that comes to my life because of my horizontal relationship that I have with you. We ought to do everything we can to protect this atmosphere. And whatever the cost is, it is not too much. Because you know what? When you walk in here and begin to feel the authority and the strength of the Holy Ghost, you can say, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I need you. You need me. But we all need the Lord. No, in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord. Here's what, here's what Paul is saying. There, there is that part. Some, some would say, well, that, that line of thinking is, is negative. It's, it's down. But that's not what Paul is using this for. Paul is actually using this to be an encouragement to us. You say, how do you know that? Well, look at the scripture there in verse 9. Do you see that? It starts with a conjunction. But. You are not in the flesh. What is Paul saying? He dealt with the trap of carnality in 5, 6, 7, and 8. And now he's saying, look at me, church. You're, you're not in that trap of carnality. You have been somebody that has been filled with the Spirit. Now let me help you a minute. If there's something that this week you have done in your life, if you're not worried about it and bothered by it, that ought to be a sign to you to say, hey, Things are not right with my heart and my spirit. But if you walked in here tonight and there was something that you've been involved in this past week and there was something that was smitten in your heart, that's a good sign. You know why? It's because the spirit is trying to reach into your heart and into your life and to empower you and to fill you with the spirit. And this Titus said that there will be a renewal in the Holy Ghost. That's what I want to take place every time that you walk in here that there is a renewal of the Holy Ghost in our lives. Go oh, in the name of Jesus. And there's something else that I see here in this verse is doctrinal. But you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. So if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Here's what we see. We see Spirit. We see Spirit of God. 
we see Spirit of Christ. That is not three different beings. There is That is the one self-same individual monotheistic God. And I don't want to get into a long doctrinal deal, but I'll just drop this one on you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And this is what you have to understand that there's not, there's only one. There's not three. There's not five. There's not hundreds. That when you walk in this house that all you got to do is breathe out the name of Jesus and at the name of Jesus heaven is all the sudden and attention and the power and the spirit of God can minister and work in your life oh in the name of Jesus oh in Jesus name oh in Jesus name in the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord. So Paul is coming here and he's saying, look at this verse. We got to look at that verse in the way that they did back in the first century. Here's what Paul's saying. You've been lifted out of your formal sinful state. You've been pulled out of the world and now you have come out of the kingdom of darkness and you have been placed into the kingdom of light. And that's important for us to know. It's, it's more for us to realize tonight that it's just an intellectual set of beliefs. It's more than just a, an inclination toward doctrine that we say we believe these particular things. It's more than just a sense of morality about us. That, that There are people in the world, there's atheists, that they have a strong moral code. And yet Paul is coming along and he's saying, I'm gonna tell you something, it's all taking place because of the Holy Spirit of God. One man said it like this, it's not that a man just changes his beliefs and, and no more. No, he was in the realm of his flesh and now he's in the realm of the Spirit. He was dominated by the flesh before he was governed by it and now in a realm which is governed and controlled and dominated by the Spirit. I need that. I need the spirit to dominate me because my flesh is wicked. My flesh is vile. My flesh will try to rise up at times. And what do I need? I need to be submitted to the Holy Ghost. I'm not too loud, am I? I feel like I'm yelling at y'all. I need to quit yelling. I want to just again emphasize that fact. It's not a moral code. It's not an intellectual nod to say, yeah, I believe it's more than that. The Holy Ghost is here tonight. The Spirit of the Lord is in this place and it can do what it needs to do if you are sensitive to the work of the Holy Ghost. Call last night, late last night, and again, I, I didn't mention it tonight, but I appreciate everybody that came in here yesterday and, and did all that they did and, and there was a lot of good things that took place, but uh, y'all pray for Brother Mills. He got out there yesterday and got to working, and it kind of it, it incapacitated him, and all us older gentlemen are starting to go the way of all flesh, and, and poor Alex, we like to, Brother Paul Eisler liked to wore him out yesterday, and that's why he was limping around here this morning. I I told, told Alex, was back here, told Mark, I said, Alex, we're going to get the boy out of you and 
we're going to toughen you up. But he was out there working hard yesterday with all of us. But uh, late last night, I, I, I called Brother Naylor and, and uh, was talking to him. And, and this weekend, he asked Brother Mooney, uh, former pastor of Calvary Tabernacle, and he is our one of our assistant general superintendents. He had Brother Mooney. In fact, Brother Mooney was there today. And so yesterday afternoon, evening, 4.35 o'clock or so, uh, Brother Naylor took Brother Mooney out to eat and they were just talking. And I don't know if you have realized this, but listening to Brother Mooney's preaching, Brother Mooney is an incredible storyteller. And so he started telling a story, told Brother Naylor, he said, uh, back in sometime the late 60s, early 70s, the Brother uh Mooney was pastoring in, in Muskegon, Michigan, and there was a district superintendent up there. I think his name was Brother Jesse Starr. And uh, Brother Starr had a very big impact on Brother Mooney as a young minister. And he said that Brother Starr called him and he said, I, I need you to go with me. He said, I have got to go and, and get a minister's license that has fallen into uh, some a terrible moral situation. And so Brother Moody went along for the ride. And he said that whenever he got there, he said that he could tell that the situation was going to kind of somewhat escalate because uh, it turned into, it, it was quite a, a, a confrontation there. And finally, Brother Starr uh, just reached over and he just pulled that, that license off of that table and said, I'm taking these licenses right now. He said, it has nothing to do with the organization that I represent. He said, but I'm going to tell you this. He said, it has everything to do with holiness and righteousness and the lack of honor that you have held for the holiness and the righteousness of your calling. And Brother Mooney went on to say last night, February 20, 2021, he told Brother Naylor, he said, we've gotten to a time where that kind of honor for holiness and righteousness is no longer that now everybody wants to live by the lowest common denominator. How much Netflix can I watch and still go to heaven? How much can I slip around here and there and still make it to heaven? There needs to be something on the inside of every one of us to say, you know what, if the Spirit of God has gotten on the inside of me, it needs to be pulsing with power and strength. And I don't want just a, a teaspoonful of the Spirit Spirit of God, I want every bit of this thing that I can have. You know why? Because I have been delivered from this world. I have been delivered from my flesh and I want the Holy Ghost living in my heart and in my spirit. We have got to be clear if the Spirit has come to live on the inside of us, then that kind of living, that low living that I'm talking about here tonight is going to be foreign to us. To so say how many scriptures can you quote? I can quote Acts 2.38, I can quote Acts John 3.16, and I can quote the big one. John 11 and 35, that used to be the one we all jumped up and quoted at sword drill. Jesus wept, and then we sat back down. I'm going to tell you, the Lord should have struck me in my forehead when I was about nine years old, when I used to get in on that and hear me, church, we don't want that kind of, I don't want to 
pastor, that kind of church that says, oh, just Jesus wept. That's good enough for me. Acts 2.38 is good enough for me. I want us to go down. I want us to somehow dig down and go down deep and do like that man in Luke where it talks about he had a foundation and he dug that foundation deep so that when the storms came his house was built on the rock and his house survived that storm it survived it I gotta hurry I got 23 minutes and 15 seconds Romans 8 and 10 Here's what Paul says, and if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. And so I look at that story, there, that verse there, Romans 8, talks about the residence of the spirit. Romans 8 and 9 talks about the, the residence of the Spirit. And now verse 10 speaks to me about the righteousness that the Spirit brings into our lives. I read a story a number of years ago about the, about a a man uh, that it was it was talking about the holiness movement, and there was a coal miner that lived up in West Virginia. This would have been uh, at least perhaps a hundred years ago, maybe maybe even more. And it was during that period of time that the holiness movement began to have tent revivals. And while they were having these tent revivals, uh, this, this, it, was, it would end up being the man that I read the book. It was his grandmother. His grandmother went to one of those tent meetings and she got in there and they didn't say that they were filled with the Spirit. They said that they had the full blessing or they had the full assurance. And if you read about that, what that means is they just got the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And so she goes back home and she was married to a man that was, that was a decent man. But whenever she got the Holy Ghost, it turned him into a rascal. And uh, he would come in every day after he got home from his job out of those coal mines there in West Virginia. And he would come through the house and he'd track up everywhere and there would be, there would be coal dust and scrapes all through the house. And then he'd go back there. This is the worst part. He'd go back there to the bedroom and he'd take his old dirty boots off and he'd reach up there and he'd put them on the bedspread and he'd just rub all that cold dust and on that, on that bedspread. And, and uh, his poor wife, uh, she did not say a word in opposition to him. That right there tells me that she got the Holy Ghost. It wasn't fake. It was for real. And she didn't say a word to him, but every morning she would go and she would wash that bedspread and she would hang it out and let it dry. Y'all know what a clothesline is? There's still a few of us that knows what a clothesline is. Some of y'all young ones, y'all don't even know what a clothesline is. You think it's a dryer. But anyway, she'd wash that and hang it outside and and uh, she'd pack up and she'd cook breakfast for him. She'd pack up a lunch pail for him and send it off. And then whenever he came home, she'd have supper ready for him. And he'd go through that same deal, track up his old boots in the, in the floor and go back there and mess up that bedspread. And, and she just inside, just pray, pray, pray. And finally, on the 30th day, 
she come in there and he walked in that door and he stepped in the back door and he looked at her and she just kind of looked like, okay, we're fixing to start this thing again. And uh, he didn't do it that day. He broke down and started crying. He said, can I go with you to that tent meeting and that revival? And it was that night that he was gloriously filled with the Holy Ghost. Now the story that I read was his grand, his grandson wrote that story about holiness. Listen to me, church. That, that's, what, that's what Paul was talking about. He said, I'm going to tell you something. He said, whenever you're filled with the Spirit, there is going to be some accompanying acts of righteousness that's going to take place in your life. And it was his wife's wit that won him. I, I, again, I, I wonder tonight, what is the witness of my life? What is the witness of your life? Is your life speaking things to this world? Is it, is it saying things to your family? Is it saying things to those that you work with or you go to school with or, or even your extended family? What is the Spirit saying to them. Now this testimony is here. Look, look, turn back a page or so and look Romans chapter 6 and look in verse 23. It says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 10. It says, And if Christ be in you, then your body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit, oh, it's life because of righteousness. Now, what was Paul talking about? Paul, Paul was talking about the fact about the wages of sin is death, but when the Spirit gets into your life, there is an accompanying righteousness that pours out of your heart and your spirit. I, I'm going to tell you what it will do for you, okay? I mentioned this morning in the Sunday school lesson and one of these days, okay, my chief sin's worrying and I'm going to beat it. I'm going to get over it. I'm not going to worry. I'm going to completely trust in God and I'm going to quit trying to do his job and I'm going to quit worrying about things. But listen, there's times whenever I wake up in the middle of the night and I feel like those jet pilots, Brother Williams, and you got the big old mask up there and you look like an alien and and I got that breathing deal on me and I got my earbuds in and I generally am listening to uh, some kind of, I've been listening to Eddie James and Breakthrough. You, you think I sing congregational songs? I'm telling you, whenever you hear me sing Breakthrough, I'm telling you, it's almost like the day of Pentecost breaks out whenever I get to singing Breakthrough with Eddie James. I woke up the other night, it was 3 o'clock, 3.15 in the morning, I was worrying and fretting, and in my earbuds, that, that album was playing, and I just want to tell you something tonight, church, that we have to realize that the Spirit of God can sustain you, it can help you, it can be with you, it can change your life, it can put away the body of death, and it can build faith in your heart and in your spirit in such a way that you walk in here and you say, oh, I love God. I love the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for what he's done in my life and in my spirit. 
And so if we are alive, what are the things that we were once dead to in the past? They're put behind and now we are alive to some things. What, what are you alive to? You're alive to God. You, you may have believed in God, but now God has become very real to you. Yes, Sister Rhonda, to walk in there when your kids are running a fever and you put your hand on them and pray for them and then the Lord takes it and deals with that. That end is indeed a matter that God is alive in your life. But I also say this to you here tonight, that there is an aliveness to his word because we know that the Bible can speak so clearly to things in our hearts and in our spirits. And I want you tonight to look at the Bible as more than just a book of antiquity. It's more than a book that your grandmother, your grandfather had. It's, it's more than just something that a preacher carries to a pulpit. It's more than something that a Sunday school teacher or youth pastor opens up. But it literally is God-breathed. And that thing you hold in your hand, those literally are the words of God. And all of a sudden, you are alive to Scripture. You're alive to God and you're alive to Scripture. But I, I would also say this as well, that there is another matter that we are alive to the Spirit and other saints. Because again, verse 16, the Spirit itself, Romans 8, 16, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And you come in here tonight and you start realizing that Brother Johnny... And Sister Mary, and Sister Regina, and Brother Jay, and Sister Ron, and Brother Adam, and Sister Tanya, and, and all the rest of you, that there's something that I sense in your heart and in your spirit that tells me there's a connection that I have in that. Now, here's where you're going to get nervous. There's a nervousness that creeps in sometimes to apostolics whenever I start talking and asking this question, is there a certainty that you know that you are indeed saved? It's like, oh man, I'm getting nervous. He's talking about eternal security. Listen, it is not the will of God for you to walk around in a constant state of fear and doubt and concern and wonder, oh, I know, am I saved today? Am we lost tomorrow? Be saved the next day? Lost again? Brother Griffin dealt with that whenever he went through Hebrews chapter 6 and also in Hebrews chapter 10 whenever I was in Bible college. And, and I want you to know here tonight that you don't have to wander through your life wondering whether or not am I saved if the Lord was to come right now would I be ready I'm preaching to you right now things that can tell you hey there is a certainty that I know is there an awareness that you have of God what have you felt in this room for the last hour and 31 minutes we have been involved in the spirit of God what's taking place right now none of you jumping up and yelling at me and telling me I don't know what I'm talking about I feel an open I feel like that I'm the sower and I'm taking the word and I'm throwing out across good ground. There's a reception that's taking place here and you need to understand in your heart and in your life that if the spirit is on the inside of you and there's an accompanying work of righteousness, 
then there ought to be an assurance that we have in our hearts and in our lives. I want to tell you, tell you something here tonight. I'm talking about sonship. I was, my barber yesterday took care of me. I hadn't been to, I hadn't been to see poor Jesse since COVID hit and my wife is taking care of me and cutting my hair. And I got in there yesterday and looked in the mirror and I thought, I'm, I look like my dad. Looking like my dad. You know, you know, there's a reason for that. It's because Donald Harrelson is my dad. I get to looking at some of the pictures of Mark. And I think, I'm still glad Mark's got 50 pounds on me, okay? But I start looking like, man, we, my dad looks like him. I look like them. We're all, we're, we're related. There is something called sonship. I thought about that story Brother Patterson's told. It's a good story. He told it a few times and thought about it. I need to weave this in. I never have told this. He's told it, but I'm going to get one of his stories tonight. He, he told that story. Remember that guy he told about his old guy, his old farmer, and he went off to a, a flea market or something, a store, general store or some such, and he got in there and he saw a mirror. He walked up to that mirror he thought, oh my goodness, it's a picture of my dad. And so he asked that guy, he said, how much is this? And the guy told him, well, it's $50. Well, I don't have $50, but I'm going to save everything I can because I'm going to go buy me a picture of my, I'm going to get that picture of my dad. And so he goes and sells one of his cows, sells one of his old plows, hawks off a bunch of stuff and takes him about three or four months and he finally gets him a, gets him a mirror and goes in there and gets the money and he goes in there and buys that mirror. He looks at him, oh, my dear old dad. And he, he sneaks it home and he gets it up in the barn and there's an old chest up there in the barn and every evening... After he got through eating, he'd sneak off after the barn. Well, his wife got suspicious. Like, what in the world is he going out there and seeing about in the barn? So she sneaks out there and sees him, and he's up there, and she can tell he's near that chest, and she don't want to interrupt him. So the next day while he's out farming, she goes in there, and she opens that chest up, and there's stuff on top of it, a quilt. There's a backpack and various other stuff. She pulls all that stuff out and she looks down in the bottom and there's that mirror. And she looks at that and said, I knew he was out here looking at some old hag. It wasn't. <laughs> I know that was good, wasn't it, Brother Robert? I think I told it a little bit better than Brother Patterson did. But I'm, I'm just going to tell you something tonight. And you know what sonship is? Sonship is whenever you take his word and you, what James said in James 1, and you hold this thing up and you say, you know what? The Lord's working on me. I'm getting closer and closer to what he wants me to be. I know I'm not there yet, but that looks like my dad. That looks like that's what sonship is about here tonight. And church, if I've ever encouraged you, I want you to get a hold of this thing here tonight that you ought to walk out of here with confidence and assurance in your heart and say, I'm a child of God and the enemy can't have me. The world can't have me. 
because God is real to me. Whenever I pray, I tap into something otherworldly. When I look at the word of the Lord, there are things in my heart and spirit that I connect with what he's saying. That, that ought to be the desire inside of every single one of us. And so eternal salvation is clear to us, but are you seeing the right patterns? How important is this church to you? And you start having kids, it'll get real important. You start having, they start having grandchildren. This church will suddenly get even more important to you. You know why? Because there's a concern that you have as an elder. It's like they've got to get it just like I did. My grandchildren have got to get it just like I did because I want them saved. And so I ask you some questions here tonight. Is God real to you? When you pray, do you know that you're praying to him? Is the Bible meaningful to you? Does it seem to be right whenever you read it? Do you know more about the Bible than you did a year ago? Are you drawn to be with other saints? Do you enjoy their fellowship or are you drawn more to unbelievers or does church attendance not matter to you? The answer to those questions tells me. It's like a diagnostic tool. It tells me what your relationship is with God. Now let's quickly go through this last verse. Look in verse 11. The Bible says, Romans 8 and 11, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies. And so I look at this last verse here. Verse 9 talks about the residence of the Spirit. Verse 10 talks about the righteousness of the Spirit. And now verse 11 talks to me about the resurrection of the Spirit. That indwelling Spirit of God is a confirmation to my life. It's a confirmation to your life as well. And so what happens when we die? That's a good question. In fact, I want you to turn in your Bibles because they're going to put it on the screen, but I want you to turn in your Bible and see it in your Bible. Look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to read a somewhat lengthy passage of Scripture, but look in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'd like to start in verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house, our body, of this tabernacle were dissolved, we, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, it's eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan. Have you been there this week? Have you groaned in your spirit and in your body? earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle, we groan, we're burdened. Not for that, that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality would be swallowed up of life. 
Now he that has worked for us for the self-same thing is God who also has given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. That's what Paul's talking about. He said, you have the Spirit. He said, therefore, we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. What does that mean? That as you walk around here tonight, you're going to leave and get in your car. What Paul's saying is, is just for a moment, you're absent. You're absent from the Lord. He hadn't left you, but your body is not in the presence of the Lord. And so he goes on. He said, we're absent with the Lord. And then he says in verse 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. Verse 8, for we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, you, did you see that, verse 8? That when a righteous saint dies, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present from, with the Lord. So immediately when a saint of God dies, they immediately are translated to the presence of the Lord. Y'all think about that. Gather that into your mind. Especially if you've lost a loved one. That whenever they died, that they, they wouldn't come back. Oh, no, they would not. What they're saying to us is some of what Brother Patterson was teaching Wednesday night. They're saying, come on, come on, you got to... You've got to do everything you can to get to where this church is at. And so verse 9, wherefore we labor that whether we are present or absent, we're going to be accepted of him. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And so Paul comes along and he says, I'm going to tell you something. He said, because that spirit that is working in your heart and in your life, that when you die, that we are immediately transported into the kingdom of God. I'd like for the musicians to come. I spoil it just a little bit about what I may preach about next Sunday night. <coughs> but if you are have the habit perhaps to get on YouTube and look at Christian channels and, and all that sort of thing, you probably are aware that within the last few days that there has been quite a calamity because there's been what was looked at as one of a major Christian apologist. In fact, I've got a number of his books. It just so happens that this man was living a double life. And uh, another prominent pastor up in New York, and again, they're under the big tent of Christianity. Okay, I'm leaving. I'm just going to leave that where it's at. But they profess that they are believers. 
This church is very much known for their music and all that sort of thing. Comes to find out that he was also living a double life. And I listened to a podcast this week. In fact, I listened to it twice. It was 50 minutes. And the man laid some principles. This man is spirit-filled, not of our persuasion. But one of the points and one of the principles that he left, and it very much stuck with my mind, and it's this. He said, you must live your life with the end in sight. And I think that most of us are probably oblivious to that. You start getting older and you start thinking, you know, I'm a little closer to it. But for those of us that are in our 20s, 30s, 40s, most of us do not live our lives with the end in sight. But I pray tonight that while we have looked at these three verses, that you would understand, here's what Paul does. Verse 9, he speaks of our past. Verse 10, he speaks of our present. Verse 11, he speaks of our future. There is nothing in this life that is worth you missing the rapture or the resurrection from the dead. I'd like to pray for you. Our Lord Jesus Christ, I have felt, Lord, the liberty the freedom and the authority, Lord, of your word here tonight. I pray, God, that, Lord, the church, your body in this local church, I pray, Lord, that they have been encouraged. I pray, Lord, that they have, Lord, been inspired with the confidence, Lord, of assurance. But I'm asking you, Lord, tonight as well, that if there is a need, God, of conviction, of sin, a need for repentance, I pray, God, that tonight because this atmosphere, Lord, is a very wonderful atmosphere for us to be able to talk to You in confession and to be able to ask You to restore the joy of our salvation. I pray, Lord, that tonight on this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'd like to stand and maybe slip out of your row, these altars are open here tonight.